I'm glad we have the place to ourselves, but what's missing are the three or four weirdos kind of muttering to themselves. I like your joke where you used to talk about how the seats here were filled with popcorn farts. They, and they, and indeed they are. The New Beverly was run by a man named Sherman Torgan. I, I went there pretty much almost every night between 1995 and 1997, and it was a walk through his own mental film library. So it was a $6 a night film school for me. When you watch a movie in a theater, you are in the hands of whoever has made that movie. It's a very human experience to learn about yourself, what pulls you into a world and makes you lose yourself, and what doesn't and reminds you of, oh, this is what I love and this is what I hate. Oh, Frankie Bono. Poor bastard. So now we're going to talk about our required reading. Jack has a book for us. Tell us about this book. Oh, do I have a book for you fellows today. Um, this book just came out this past week. Uh, kind of hot off the presses, and I went through this book in the past week. Uh, it was that kind of thing for me. Um, so the book that I read is called Silver Screen Fiend, and it's written by Pat Oswalt. Now, uh, for those of you, hopefully you may know Pat Oswalt. Uh, most notably, he was Remy the Rat in Ratatouille. Um, but he's also had parts in... Uh... Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, he recently appeared on that show, uh, I believe. He also... He does a lot of TV. He was, yeah, he was on King of Queens. He was like... Justified. Oh, really? Uh-huh. He also does a lot of weird stuff on Adult Swim now, too, like on their like live-action thing. He does this show called The Heart She Holler or something, and apparently he's described it as being like... something like... Uh, on crack or something. I don't know. It's one of those types of shows. The he point is too of, high on crack. To yes. Really get it out. But of course, Patton Oswalt. But but he's also most you know what he really makes his living at most is stand up comedy, and he's you know one of my favorite stand up comedians. Um, you know he's also a super kind of geek type of comic. You know when you hear him in interviews, you know he's super literate in geek culture, but also just culture in general. Um. Yeah, he has a great bit about the Star Wars prequels, which, uh, you know, which is all about how, um, you know, just because, you know, I like the things I like, I don't know, want, want to know where the things I like come from. Hot dogs. <laughs> That's a good point. So um, what's the name of this book? Well, uh, it's Oh, wait, you said Silver Screen Junkie. Sorry. Silver Screen Fiend. Uh, junkie and, Fiend. well... The term also relates to, he kind of coined a, well, here, here's what basically the book is about. He has written uh, a memoir covering uh, largely uh, his time between 1995 and 1999 when he was living in L.A. And even though he was making his living as a stand-up comic and he also, uh, his first big writing gig was for Mad TV also in the 90s, for for, for the first couple of years. Um, he also became, uh, as he calls it, addicted to cinema. And um, what happened was there was this movie theater, it's still there in L.A., called the New Beverly Cinema. And this is this was like a repertory theater where they play like all kinds of classic movies. The guy who ran it, uh, even though he's, he's passed away, he basically programmed whatever he wanted and really programmed... You know, really great double features and 
classic movies. Like, and what kind of kicks off Patton Oswalt's addiction is he goes to see a double feature of Billy Wilder's Sunset Boulevard and Ace in the Hole. Oh. And that kind of, you know, as he says, that was like the first uh, hit that he took that really, because, I mean, it's not like he, he obviously liked movies before that, but something about that experience, you know, seeing those two movies that day just suddenly made him, uh, boom, I'm going to go see everything. And it wasn't just because, oh, I just, you know, and obviously, I mean, he loved movies, but in the back of his mind, he kept thinking, okay, I'm going to become a director. And because I'm going to become a director, I have to see movies. I have to see all the movies. And, you know, he, and he admits that he had kind of like OCD in the sense that he had like these three movie books. One was called, I think the psycho psychotronic encyclopedia. And then he also had a series of cult movie books. And what he, what he would do is he would go see a movie and then, you know, go in the book and mark off that he had seen the movie. Right. And in t- at times he would go see movies, um, even though he would have like a, like a stand-up gig that night and he would rush over town, you know, from seeing a movie to, in order to get to the gig in time or to do this and that sort of thing. Um, and part of the movie is a memoir about his stand-up days and his stand-up career. Um, there's a really great uh, sort of thing in the book about what he coins uh, having a, a night cafe experience. And a night cafe. A night, or a night cafe. Now, what this means uh, in, the, in his context, um, he talks about... Uh, there's actually a whole chapter um, that's really fascinating. It's, uh, it, it's, the chapter title is 1888. And... The, what hap, what like why this is significant for him is three things that um, the very first uh, motion picture is made, which is like just five seconds of people in a garden. Uh, Jack the Ripper is killing people, and Vincent Van Gogh does this painting called the Night Cafe. And uh, what the Night Cafe? I know that painting. Yeah, well, it's a, yeah, it's a painting inside of like this cafe. And the thing that's significant about that is before that painting, Vincent Van Gogh uh, did all of his paintings watching actual places and things. Like, he would be there and he would paint what he saw, you know, through his sort of point of view. But uh, the painter Gauguin kind of told, asked him, hey, why don't you do something from your own memory? You know, why don't you do something that you aren't seeing and painting yourself? Why don't you do something that you actually have to go into your mind? And so he said, shut up, please don't leave. (laughs) I think that's what he said. Maybe in Dutch. Um, But what happened was, um, so he does this painting called the Night Cafe, and it changes him, like, completely. From then on, like, Van Gogh does all this brilliant work, but it kind of destroys him. Like, he, you know, after that, of course, he does the thing of cutting off part of his ear and giving it to the prostitute and, you know, going even more and more insane. And so what Patton Oswalt has through much of this book are experiences that he had that he calls, like, having, like, a night cafe experience. A moment that really changed you as a person. And, um... Mm. Like, so he puts, for example... It's like an epiphany or a turning point. Yeah, like a good turning point. Um... Where you go into something and you leave completely different. 
like he he points out like the first time he did stand up as a night cafe experience. Um, so this time, the first when you when you find when he goes to see Sunset Boulevard and uh, yeah, Ace in the Hole, that's Ace a night cafe or kind of like an extended night cafe type of experience. Um, and he kind of says the ver- you know we all have the what he says like the last night cafe and we don't come back from that as far as we know. <laughs> um but uh but again, yeah but a lot of the book is yeah, again about you know going to the movies and having these experiences and it kind of was wrecking his life because he just he just couldn't stop like he would go to see movies you know five six seven times a week um now i in reading this book though i kind of related to this in a way because you would, wouldn't you? Well, it's, well, when I was in high school, I I was kind of like this. I would go see movies, and even before that, I remember, and this is before IMDb, when I I had a, a Leonard Maltin movie book, and that's what I would use as a, my movie guide before IMDb came around. That's how I would look up actors and careers. Like you could, that was what they had before IMDb. Leonard Maltin, uh, God bless him. Um, <laughs> um, Freakazoid. Leonard, you know every movie ever made! <laughs> was Leonard Maltin on Freakazoid? Yeah. Really? He was. Okay, I need to watch that. I'll lend it to you. Awesome. Uh, is he in, like... I feel like maybe I saw that. Was he like in the whole episode, or was it just like a guest? He was spot? just like in parts of the. Okay, episode. Okay, so is that? Do they do a thing like when? Didn't they have Siskel and Ebert on Animaniacs yeah, once? They but had it wasn't like actually them. It was no, like, but they did like yeah, they did like two toes down. And yes. I think it was like Slappy and. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was a Slappy the Squirrel cartoon, but I've derailed this conversation. No, but it's fine. Um, okay, the point is. I would go see movies, and when there would be a certain point, and this is where, also with Patton Oswalt, there would be a point where it would be not even so much about, like, it would be about just going because you have a place to, to go. It doesn't even matter if sometimes the movie isn't very good, but you're seeing something in a theater, and that's what counts. And, yeah. you know, and also, again, the whole idea of having the the book, the thing that you're going to, you know, mark this the off. The checklist. The checklist, exactly. Um, and, I mean, we both, and we've actually, and I know you've had that kind of checklist sort of thing. Yeah, I've been, I've been working off various checklists. Yeah, not just for, mm-hmm. not just for books, but for, uh, or not, you know, for books, for video games, you know, and for movies. And we're working off of two checklists right now. But, yeah. The, chasing, completing that checklist is something that you know really ocup, occupies you. Yeah, exactly. And so over the and so over this time, I mean, you know, Pat Oswalt saw so many movies, and yet, you know, at times it kind of made him closed off. It, it, it he said it kind of damaged his like script writing skills, like with Mad TV, because you know he would see all these movies, like he would kind of binge on movies on a Sunday night. And then, like, Monday morning would come around, and he'd have to go pitch sketches, and he would just kind of churn out, like, lazy stuff. And um, and he would also, he did, like, 
crazy marathons. Like, he did, like, a two-day horror movie marathon of, like, Hammer horror movies. Um, Actually, he has a story which I need to... Let me see if I can find this, because I have to see if I can read this. If I was to have a Hammer horror film marathon... There would be there would come a point where I'd have to ask like this is all taking place in one country right <laughs> which nondescript European country do Hammer horror films take place in yeah it's like it looks kind of like Germany but there are an awful lot of British people <laughs> <laughs> is this Belgium yes but it's like the Wolfman where does the Wolfman with Lon Chaney Jr. take place. I don't remember if they said it. Like I didn't watch no, the whole they didn't movie. Say it. But hmm. But even in like the in in the Welcome to the Basement review, they didn't really say it. Yeah. It's just nondescript village. And I remember like uh in the Bravo one hundred scariest movie moments, John mm. Landis says, Where the heck is this country? Mm. Is this Switzerland? Is it Bavaria? Is it Germany? Where the hell are we? Hmm. Yeah. But uh <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I get it. Well, the thing is, though, again, like, but the thing was, it was getting to a point where it was kind of damaging his relationships with other people. Like, going to this, he went to oh, a like, Turing. Well, well, maybe not that. Um, but what happened was, like, for example, he would he went to a horror movie marathon and brought like his girlfriend, and there was a point where, again, this was going on into the middle of the night, and at like two a.m. he. Didn't want to leave from seeing, you know, I married a teenage werewolf, and you know his girlfriend was like, I I want to go to my car and go home, and you know he said, okay, you can go, and so she and he's like, I made my girlfriend go walk by herself to her car, and we broke up shortly after that, and rightfully so. <laughs> but even like with also friends, but there was interesting things though where it's like. Like, there was a chapter that I, I really wanted to tell you about where he... A couple chapters. This first thing is, like, he goes back home uh, to where he's from in Virginia for Thanksgiving. And he sees, like, this friend of his from, uh, like, childhood that he hadn't seen in a long time. And they decide, oh, let's hang out and, you know, get a bite and go see a movie. And the movie that they go see is uh, this movie, Last Man Standing. Oh, Bruce Willis. Yes. Now, the thing about this is, and let me read this, basically, to you. Um, uh, We were a couple of minutes from the movie starting, and I chuckled. To him, it seemed as if I was laughing at nothing specific. What's funny? I said, not really funny, but what's weird about this movie is it's a remake of an Italian film, which was itself a remake of a Japanese film, which itself was based on an American crime novel. My friend stared at me. This movie is Fistful of Dollars, basically, which was an Italian film, and that was a remake of Yojimbo, you know, the Kurosawa film with Toshiro Mifune, and Kurosawa based Yojimbo on Dashiell Hammett's Red Harvest, and this movie is based on Red Harvest, but it got there by way of Fistful of Dollars and Yojimbo. My friend continued to stare at me. (laughs) Never say Hollywood doesn't have new ideas, I said, and gave him a laugh. He stared at me another moment and then leaned in close. Why did you bring me to this thing? <laughs> he seemed deeply angry. I couldn't figure out where the anger was coming from. The lights went down, last man standing began. And so, 
they watch this movie and the guy is like, after he sees it, he's like, this made zero sense. Why did you give me that information? <laughs> so in other words, it's like his own cinephilia gets in the way of having like friendships with people who, you know, a lot of people will just go see a movie and it's just a movie. They don't really have all that much context with it. Right. And, you know, like, they, they kind of... He- and then if they hear that much context, they think it has to have something to do with the experience they're about to have. And so, again, it it's really a very... Doesn't. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of instances in the book that are just really weird and funny. And, well, here's the other one that I... I just have to tell you about this, and I'm not going to say... You will find out in a moment who this is about, but I have to read this to you. So, um, so he's talking about going to see Citizen Kane. Uh, you know, all, you know, we are 15 minutes in the movie Citizen Kane. I'm, I'm kind of going through this really fast. It's structured. So many in, in flashbacks. You know, I've seen it 20 times. I was wrapped. You know, I was watching Charles Foster Kane to and bully his way to the top of the mountain. You know, and he's going to drain so much love and patience, blah, blah, blah. You know, what's going to happen every single time you see it, but it's such a sweet ride. You know, you can never resist the swell when you feel it rise. But there was some, but there was a noise behind me. This is him seeing, moving the A rumbling human, but maybe not human gurgle and bark. Someone was sitting down 15 minutes into Citizen Kane, and they were talking to no one, out loud. God damn it. I turned around to shush whoever was pulling me out of Wells' cinematic gravity. It was Lawrence Tierney. What? <laughs> Reservoir Dogs Lawrence Tierney. Bar brawling, knife wound surviving, battling bruiser t-shirt, human tank, Lawrence Tierney. Sitting alone in the dark behind me watching Citizen Kane. Oh, man. I didn't shush him. For 15 minutes he sat there talking to the screen as if he were just out of view to the other characters, <laughs> admonishing Kane. Uh, don't clap for the squawkling bitch. She can't sing. <laughs> Sit down, you chump. Oh, Jesus, what's he staring at? You're going to cry, fancy man? <laughs> it was the best DVD commentary I ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that, oh, and then, uh, like, he gets kind of pulled away by his, like, handler or sister or whatever, and he's like, I never saw this movie before. <laughs> and he says it's not half bad. <laughs> <laughs> I had to bring that up because of what we saw Lawrence Tierney in not too long ago. You know, tough guys don't dance. Yeah, tough but, guys so, don't dance. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, things like that occasionally well, happen to him in the that's book. That's kind of a... That's kind of a bad time because I mean Lawrence Tierney. When did Reservoir Dogs get made? Ninety two. This is ninety five. Yeah, was, I mean, but even by the time he was doing Reservoir Dogs, he was getting into. He was, he was off to, his rocker. Uh, yeah, he was off his like. You hear stories from people who work like. Well, I've heard stories from, like the cast of Reservoir Dogs and uh, Seinfeld because he was in yeah. an episode of Seinfeld where he played Elaine's dad, and. Um, yeah, they say that he was, like, he would be on set and, like, he would sometimes have a knife and make, like, the psycho sounds. jeez. Oh, <laughs> and so they didn't ask him back to play Elaine's dad again. No. Um, 
But yeah, so the oh, book is... So this is three years after that. Yeah. He's, he's a rambling, like, stuttering man watching Citizen Kane. Which is kind of sad, but for this story... Yes, it's great. Also it's great. so good. Um, but what's interesting, too, is ultimately what pulls him out of his cinephilia. Like, I, I mean, he gives it a context in the book. Maybe it didn't quite... Who knows how long it really went, but... The way he frames it is that it starts in May of 1995 and ends in May of 1999 with the release of The Phantom Menace. And, no, but what, what I love, though, is that ultimately it becomes about the artistic process because, like, he realize, you know, he goes to see The Phantom Menace and, you know, and then he spends weeks, you know, arguing, you know, talking about the movie with his friends who, you know, they all hate it. Yeah. You know, and they're like, oh, my God, it was so bad, like... And but they also talk about it in ways that, that, you know, the movie could have been so much better. There could have been things that, here and there that could have been improved. They could have done this and that. And then it came to a certain point where Patton Oswalt suddenly realizes, you know, I'm doing all of this talking, you know, and I haven't created a thing. Yeah. What have I done with any movies? I mean, I can berate George Lucas all I want. He made something. You know, we may not like it. It might yes. be wrongheaded. But he put in the effort. This gets back to the first thing we were talking about with Tommy Wiseau. Oh, all the way to that book. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what, Tommy he Wiseau, did something? He did something. I um, mean, barely. Barely. <laughs> but still, compared to someone who's done nothing, that's in, that's infinity. Mm, I suppose. Well, the fact that it got finished and then seen. I mean, you know, it's... The movie, the fact, you know, who knows when these things kind of catch lightning and and go out. I mean, a movie like Star Wars didn't really need that. It just, boom, went out there and then that was yeah. it. I, but that's the thing. He makes, it's such a great point that you bring up. It's, I felt that way talking mm -hmm. about certain things. Like, I can criticize the Hallmark movies that my mom watches all the time around Christmas. Uh, I right. can criticize any sort of soap opera or anything. But yeah, in the end... Sometimes you you stop and you look around and you say, "Yeah, they, this is bad, but they did something, and I'm just here talking about it." Yeah, well, that was well. Again, it's about him sort of coming to terms with, you know, his cinephilia. That, you know, I'm spending all this time, you know, seeing these movies because I'm gonna maybe I'll be become a director. And you know, he's hanging out with people like Louis C.K. who aren't as super well steeped in seeing movies like he is, and yet he's already starting to make movies. Um, so yeah. it's all a matter of, like, kind of, I guess, the sort of perspective of it. And yet, there is still kind of, sort of like, you know, in a way it's written like an addiction memoir. Yeah. But at the oh, same... Oh, a very light-hearted addiction memoir. Light, oh, yeah, very light-hearted. You know, and again, there are times where it's not all about movies. It's also It also goes, again, talking about stand-up and how there was this whole alternative comedy scene in the 90s and people like Lucy K and Paul F. Tompkins and the kids in the hall were kind of making this whole thing comedy kind of come magicians up. well <laughs> not they came before <laughs> are you thinking about Patton Oswalt's bit about yeah, comedy magicians I love, it. I love this thing about uh, comedy magicians <laughs> but uh but, but it, it's a fascinating book and he also includes a list of all of the films Oh, that's that cool. he saw. So now we can become obsessed. Yeah, you know that was something I thought about though. In a way, it's like the book. The book is supposed to be about warding you 
not not worrying you off. Like he he actually even says in the book, look, you know, if you want to spend your time, you know, I don't want to dissuade you from seeing Sunset Boulevard and Ace in the Hole. They're great movies, but it might be good every once in a while to live your own life. And the way he kind of to compares say hi it to your family. Yeah, well, the way he compares it is like. There's a difference between drinking, like, a glass of wine and then, you know, um, getting your, you know, eating a bunch of rolls to make your stomach ready so you can drink the entire bottle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just, I feel like it would be a good thing. No, not a good thing, but I've wondered what it would be like to just be obsessed with one thing. For, for that, like, not for four years, maybe, but to just steep yourself in something. Like, Kevin Murphy did that in uh, yeah. Year at the Movies. Well, that movie, well, that a movie well, in a theater every day. Well, that book came up in my mind reading this. Like, these two books are, um, they're interesting companion pieces because, um, you read, you know, Kevin Murphy, you know, they're both, you know, kind of lighthearted comedic books. But whereas Kevin Murphy had this very specific goal you know, just for a year, um, you know, Patton Oswalt had more of it as like a compulsion. Yeah. It was more like, you know, I, I have to see these movies. You but know. I would like to do, like, but I, I, I wonder what it would be like. To fully commit. To just immerse yourself in something. To, to forget everything else. Like, do the bare minimum of your life. Like, do your minimum, do like your minimum wage job for a few hours a day. Yeah. And then spend the rest of your waking hours just watching movies or well at one t- or, or studying something well at one time in my life that that was kind of me so that's why when i read this book i i mean i, I got out of that and i kind of it, you know it was also more a matter of there was a certain point where i was just seeing every movie because i thought you know i need to see all the movies so i can be a writer mm. but then i did get to that point where you know i was finally writing stuff and at first you know it wasn't very good, but I was at least writing and starting to do stuff. And again, yeah. now the, the the difference is, you know, that was me as a teenager at a point where I could afford to kind of spend time doing just that. Um, yeah, it's not. You know, whereas Pat Oswalt, you know, he was like in his late twenties when he was doing this. So um, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, if you're well, if you're gonna obsess something, you might as well do it now. Yeah, I gotta get it over <laughs> with. Bite the bullet. Um, but yeah, really interesting book. So many good chapters. I mean, um, I mean, he does jump around a little bit, um, but he has like really funny stories about, for example, like his very first film role he was in, uh, I didn't even know this, that he had like a very, like a super small part in this comedy down Periscope. Oh, with I Kelsey Grammer. Peri- Periscope. Yeah. It huh. looked. I remember seeing part of it, and it was pretty stupid. Yeah, and, it was dumb. But, uh, but his whole chapter yeah. in the book is about how he has literally he plays like a radio operator on a submarine, and he has literally one line in the movie, and he it's the kind of thing where he's like telephone call for you, Admiral, whatever. You know, he tell, you know he turns and says that, and he he writes about how he had recently seen Apollo thirteen. And, like, Clint Howard gave, like, a performance where he has a line where he gives, like, super emphasis on something. And he realized, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this line, like, you know, 
We're going to do it! <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be that extra that people notice, you know, even though I have one line, and yeah. he, like, completely f- fobs it up. <laughs> um, oh, and he also has a great story about uh, Jerry Lewis and uh, The Day the Clown Cried. I don't know if you know what that is. Uh, just really fast. Uh, the Day the Clown Cried is an unreleased Jerry Lewis movie set in the Holocaust. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, where he plays like a clown who's like like entertaining people as they're on their way to their death. So I guess it was like Jeez. Life is Beautiful before... Uh, without subtlety. No. No, and apparently well, this wait, movie... Well, wait, how did this movie get made? And unreleased. For, there's a whole story behind it. I, it, it's too long involved. I read about it. It got financed somehow, but it was like so bad. Apparently, it never got released. But what happened was, uh, Pat Oswalt somehow got hold of like the shooting script, and he started doing like li- like live r- staged readings of the script. <laughs> Uh, you know, with all the comics like David Cross, Paul F. Tompkins, but um, oh, uh, but then like there was actually a moment where they kind of, they advertised uh, that they were going to do this, and then uh, they kind of got shut down. But they spent their their performance in front of this crowd because obviously they all came to see the staged reading, and instead they did a performance about how they were shut down. <laughs> and like for example, Paul F. Tompkins did, like, Peter O'Toole reading uh, the newspaper. <laughs> I thought you'd get a kick out of that. But, yeah, go read this book. Um, I mean, Patton Oswalt is a really good writer. He also wrote another book called uh, Zombie Spaceship Wasteland. Um, Zombie Spaceship Wasteland. <laughs> Zombie Spaceship <laughs> Wasteland. <laughs> you... Okay, okay, we got it. You made a song out of it. Good for good. I was wondering at first where you were going with that. They're all zombies. Okay, I'm done. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) uh, You made something out of it. See, I've done better than you people have. Um, I can finally end it. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, go check that out. And also check out Pat Oswalt's stand-up bits about movies. Um, like I said, his bit about the, the Star Wars prequels is pretty amazing. Um, and, yeah, like if you like stories like that that I read, he has a bunch of those. But he's also, you know, like when you read a memoir, it's nice when you get someone who doesn't make everything all rosy-colored. Like, he is, you know, very revealing about, you know, his own faults and stuff, and very self-conscious, and, uh, yeah, really, really good read. Probably my favorite book like this since The Disaster Artist. And if you become obsessed with movies and fall into a deep pit of, uh, cinephilia, then please let us know. Yes, if you, well, well, the fun, I, I have to wonder if, how that would if people would still do that like they did even in the 90s, because now you have, like, Netflix and stuff like that. Well, you could probably camp down in your apartment and uh, watch Netflix day after day. Find a movie about the neon-colored future and bombs implanted in people's organs. You never know. 
that is the kind of reference to a movie that does exist, and I don't even want to say the title. Because we don't remember what the title is. No, I do remember the title. I just... Uh, I did review it. It's in my blog. I just don't have the title off the top of my head. Anyway, lost anyway, in the ravages of time. So anyway, that's the book of the week. And uh, so coming up in the next week, I think... Uh, um, I don't know what kind. Of, what movies do you think you'll be trying to watch soon? Oh, I'm gonna watch Haxton again with uh, William S. Burroughs' narration. Mm. Uh, I picked another movie from your list uh, that I'm gonna watch. I'm not gonna tell you. Good. Well, I I need to pick another movie uh, to watch. Oh, well. one thing I am waiting for. Um, I requested that Eli Wallach film noir movie, uh, The Lineup. Very it's good. Been on its way for a while. I'm hoping it's actually coming. Mm. So uh, sometimes those movies can take a while from the library system. Yeah, but once I get it, I'll I'll watch it and see if it lives up to that one scene. Sweet, sweet. I am hoping to see more uh, award type movies. I guess. I mean, I um I have to see Selma pretty soon. Um, just cause it's, you know, out there now. Yeah. Um, I'll probably see, uh, I still need to see The Babadook. That's a movie at the top of my list for sure. You don't see The Babadook. It sees you. Oh. Sorry, I was making a frightened sound to compliment <laughs> your frightening logic. Ah. Um, and, uh... Oh, and I'll pro- and I think I'm, and because I'm currently also reading a Charlie Chaplin book, I'm going to try to watch his one uh, drama, uh, which is called uh, A Woman in Paris. All right. And uh, that should be hopefully interesting. Yeah, I hope so. All right, so that is the show this week. I hope you guys enjoyed it, and uh, I hope you stay warm in this very frigid. Uh, wintry economic climate unless you're in the southern hemisphere um yeah that's true happy summer everybody (laughs) and uh before we go let me remind you that the wages of cinema is death have a good night